Uh, and at that time I said, we will raise 500 million pounds for London. And they all scoffed and laughed and said, this man's a joker. What, what does he know? He'll never do it. I can tell you, Simon, it is so gratifying that this year, we passed over 1.2, 1.3 billion pounds wow. in bonds <laughs> issued. Welcome, everybody. This is Simon Gilbo with Inspired. It's great to be back with another fantastic guest. Uh, Inspired, if you're new to us, is all about uh, getting different friends, different contacts from all sorts of different walks of life who've got their own spiritual journey, their journey of faith, often uh, having gone through real knocks and challenges and sucker punches of life, but overcoming, persevering, seeing God's uh, weaving the tapestry of life, if you like, the different threads and, and producing a, a beautiful uh, yeah, beautiful tapestry. And this week, I have no doubt you're going to be very inspired because I've got with us uh, Ram Gaduma. Welcome, Ram. Thank you, uh, Simon. Appreciate the invitation and so good to connect with you. Yes. Thank you. Oh, and it's wonderful to have you. I've, I've recently read your book, My Silk Road, which is the adventures and struggles of a British Asian refugee. Our contact uh, was, uh, was Joe Bicknell. She's a very dear friend. You met her in New York. Um, and uh, we established that I played regularly through the years I was at Harrow playing against Winchester I used to play uh, tennis and rackets <laughs> against I think it's your nephew or your nephew wants to move whatever <laughs> that's it is that's right that's um, right <laughs> and your story is sort of of, of of riches to rags to riches I don't know if you've ever been described as that but uh, you know <laughs> no. in terms of uh, being sort of well deported from Mombasa funnily enough I learned to swim aged five in Mombasa no uh, that's incredible yeah. because that's when I was thrown in the ocean is and right? said now so, oh yeah that's how we were taught taken in a boat, thrown in the uh, ocean in the old port, and we were told, right, swim or sink, mate. We didn't know there was a rope all the way around us, but we did panic as kids. Help, we're going to die. Brilliant. <laughs> but you learned to swim. Well, my parents were a bit more gentle on me. I just <laughs> just was in the shallow end of a Mombasa Beach Hotel. Um, uh, you, you won't know this, uh, Ram, but my, my wife was born in India. She was uh, from oh. missionary stock out there. She was born in the Punjab in Ludhiana. And Really? Um, yeah, so listen, wow. we've got loads to talk about. And um, one thing I love in your book is the massive emphasis on, on family and, and uh, you know, from sort of Indian background family. I, from my experience in, in Burundi, you know, Indians get everywhere throughout the world, don't they? And sort of yeah. very industrious, hardworking, uh, brilliant yeah, business in general it's, and so <laughs> closely knit as, as communities. So I, I love the experience of that, both in, in Burundi with the Indian community, but also uh, my, my in-laws then ended up retiring to Southampton because there's a thriving Christian uh, Asian scene there. So I got very plugged yeah. in with those guys. Your background, uh, you know, you, you were privileged, weren't you, initially, because you're part of a thriving, uh, wealthy family in Mombasa, and then and then you were deported. So, you know, just, just share that journey. You paint, you paint such a beautiful, rich story in your book, My Silk Road. Uh, tell us about that background. Yeah, well, very simply, uh, the family made their fortune in silk. A grandfather and his brothers traded silk in the 1890s, 1900s, Japan, South Africa, East Africa. But 47, partition of India, forced to flee, leave, leaving behind a palace and all the luxuries and trappings there. Arrive in Mombasa, Kenya on the ship, begin life again. 15 rooms now after 20 years, uh, again a rich life, absolutely incredibly wealthy. The family did so well in 20 years. Uh, deported overnight to London because uh, her father had done some kind of trade deals which apparently were not allowed. So without any appeal or any mercy, out 24 hours and in London, Shepherd's Bush. Yeah. What will we do? Where will we go? What will life be like? Didn't know. I was all set to train to be a lawyer or an accountant or even a doctor, gone overnight. So within 20 years, two sets of absolutely uh, dramatic moves, uh, making a fortune, losing it, making a fortune, losing it, and starting life in a corner shop in London, in Shepherd's Bush, 15 of us in four bedrooms, eight teenagers changing for school with just one combined bathroom and toilet. What a change. But we got through it. We really, really uh, learned the hard way and didn't get spoilt with all the riches of Mombasa. It was nice, but lessons were learned. Never take anything for granted. We lost it once. We lost it twice. It could go again. So learn to live in a way where you really will not ever feel 
I've lost it and can't continue to live. And that to me was a great lesson learned in, in terms of their journey. And yet, you know, I say God is good. You look back and think there must be reasons for why things happen. Yeah. And honestly, I look back at every single event and say, yep, God's hand was in it. Even though at the time it looked awful and terrible, I can look back and say, no, that was God's hand at work. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I mean, a few weeks ago, we had an extraordinary uh, podcastee called Bobby Kumari on and her story coming out of Hinduism, obviously totally different from yours and Hinduism isn't monolithic. But, um, you know, her story was a, her, of her parents taking her up mountains and doing, you know, sort of quite bizarre, she, well, she would say demonic ceremonies and all that sort of stuff. Now, can you can you talk a bit about your background in Hinduism? Sure, sure. I was brought up in a Hindu home, but because we came from the part of India, which bordered with the Punjab, we also had Sikhism in the family. So on Monday nights, it was the Hindu temple, the Shiva Mandir. Mm -hmm. And on, uh, on Saturday nights, it was the Sikh Gurdwara in Mombasa. So we had both those. And then in between, I was sent to a Muslim school because the Sikh school and the Hindu schools were full. So we have no choice. I was sent to Muslim school Monday to Friday. So you can imagine this mix of Hindu upbringing, uh, uh, you know, and, and of a house we had, like uh, the flat in Mombasa, 15 rooms. One room was a dedicated temple. Mm -hmm. And and you would go in there every morning to uh, open the holy book, ring the bell, say your prayer, then go to school, uh, come back in the evening. Uh, and as I say in my book, the morning was waking up God in terms of opening the book. In the evening, it was uh, putting God to sleep, closing the book. That yeah. was the sort of, and then ringing the bell always as a sign of respect. And, uh, 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 and on Saturday, the Gurudwara, there it was different. To worship, you go prostrate on the floor in front of uh, the Guru Granth Sahib, and 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 uh, you then worship in the Gurudwara, and you always end up with an amazing meal mm -hmm. uh, at the end of it. So. Uh, that really was uh, uh, my, my sort of upbringing. And then Monday to Friday with my Muslim friends uh, in a Muslim school, where interestingly, you know, uh, they talk about passive smoking. When you're in a environment yeah. of smoking, well, I got passive Islam because every morning there would be assembly and they would have their equivalent of religious education, but Islamic religious education. Yeah. We were sitting at the back exempt. But you, I, I just love studying and learning. So you can't help picking up uh, uh, the names of the imams, the teachings of the Quran. So you get all this in your in, in your blood. And of course, when it came to the Christian faith, that was taboo. No, no. That is a colonial God. That yeah. is the white man's God. Even though my sisters went to the local convent school, mm -hmm. as far as family were concerned, you don't go there spiritually. It's not on. So that was my background. And uh, no, no to Jesus and Christianity. Uh, Hinduism, okay. Sikhism, okay. Well, Islam, we have no choice. Yeah. And so I was brought up in that way to, to pray, to be very spiritually imbued in all these different things. So there was a real spirituality in one sense. Mm. But uh, again, all very, uh, at, that, uh, at that time, clear. But look back now, I say, hmm, did you get confused? Well, not really. Just got used to it. Yeah. Would you say, you know, often kids have to be forced into it. Were, were you naturally pretty pious yourself? Um, I, I would say I was influenced. My mom, my aunt, they were very pious ladies. They mm. were very holy ladies in the sense that they were fearful of God, mm -hmm. uh, including granny, uh, including, I must say, my, my, my dad and all them. There was a fear of God. So they did what they did, not only out of fear, but also to earn good karma. So what I was brought up with is, you do good, you will uh, you will gain good. Of course, no one told me what would happen if you yeah. do bad. But I did lots of bad. Mm -hmm. And I used to think to myself, what happens now? And then, you know, I, I started reading about uh, the, the different faiths I was being brought up in. And I was just told, you'll be reincarnated. And uh, of course, my question, how many times? Mm. Well, uh, you know, it'll be again and again and again until your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. And I used to think, I don't know if that's ever going to happen because I've just got too much bad going on, you know. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't help, as you say, you know, from the bias point of view thinking, so what happens to me now? What happens to all that, that bad karma outweighing my good karma? I, I really am concerned, nervous here. I don't know what to do. Yeah. And that, that always was an issue for me. But yes, it, it made me... And naturally, um, bias is not is a strong word, but someone who would always try to do good and yet 
always uh, and regularly fail, fail, fail. And that was the tension that I carried with me all the time. What happens to me and my soul? Because I'm not confident or convinced that I have done enough good to, to counteract the bad that I can add up and multiply in my head yeah. and mind, yeah. you know. Mm. So, so a few weeks ago, I was coming back from Burundi. I was on a flight. The guy sat next to me was 21, Saeed, a uh, Muslim guy. I had the chance to pray with him. Uh, now, he didn't know how to put his seatbelt on. He was coming across, didn't speak a word of, of English. And he was, you know, it was, it, was, I, it was just remarkable thinking that this new start in his life. Now, you weren't that sort of clueless, age 16, were you coming into England, but you didn't have the right paper. I'm trying to remember from your book, you, uh, you, well, you didn't have a British passport. So you got to the line. I just imagine how hard it had been having been sort of spoon fed as a child. And then, man, it was tough, wasn't it? That was a nightmare because I was already warned. Uh, I was born in Mombasa, a protectorate. I was warned that your passport um, is not being accepted by the British. Many are being turned back, uh, joining what they call the shuttle. Uh, one poor girl, 17 or 18, I don't know how many times, back and forth between London, uh, Rome, and uh, 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 Nairobi mm -hmm. because uh, she, she had an Alitalia a ticket. And uh, I was just warned, be prepared. So when, when I boarded my flight, we deliberately booked British Overseas Airway Corporation flight and said, at least that way the shuttle is restricted London to uh, Nairobi. Mm. I arrived at London Airport. My, I was with my eldest brother as my chaperone. I was I just turned 17, still a minor. And they looked at his passport, sent him one way. And then I'm trying to follow him. And they look at my passport. They said, no, 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 your passport. You go to the aliens queue. I thought, oh, Lord, <laughs> aliens yeah. queue. Mm. I went to the aliens queue. I waited, gave my passport to the man. <sighs> I was terrified. And he took his time, looked through the pages, waited, looked at me, said, where's your family? I said, they've all got through. They're on the other side. He looked again, turned the passport pages. I said, oh, gosh, what's he going to do? Then I saw a white piece of paper come out with some writing on it. And it said on it something like, no, not the negative word. I thought, Oh, this is it. No permission to land, no permission to enter. I'm going to be sent back. Stamped it, gave me a passport. He said, go on, young man, join your family. <gasps> I looked at the passport. What has he done? And all it had, there was no right to do this and no right to do that. There were lots of rights I was denied. But boy, he didn't deny me the right to enter the country. I went across and just hugged dad, yeah. hugged the family, said, oh, great. I'm through. But that period, that moment, I'll never forget. Scary, yeah, really scary. Yeah, scary. So sixteen, uh, shepherd's bush in a cramped little little flat with a, yeah. with a, with a corner shop. Um, there's so much I want to dig into, but actually, we need to get to your. You know, you obviously worked incredibly hard. You were industrious. You you excelled at school. You got scholarships. Where where yeah. did where did your encounter with Jesus come in? Well, it came in in my first year at uh, staying at university. I got managed to get into Imperial College, which I never knew existed. It was a 5p bus ride from the corner shop. That's mm -hmm. all we could afford. Apply, got in against all the odds and never realized where I'm heading for. Never heard of Imperial. I got there. First year, run the shop, go to college and keep doing that. Second year, they said third year, I had to live in at college. And mm -hmm. that is when, as I say, the rubber hit the road. A first day I arrived, a first night to stay on my own with people I just couldn't relate with. Mm. I thought, where, who do I speak with? And I, I, I discovered uh, that there is a thing called the pub. <laughs> I said, let me go to the pub. So there's a place called Southside Bar, which I just found that evening. I went in there. It was the first week, freshers week, all lots of new people. And I said, somebody will talk to me. And there, were, there was a group of musicians. Uh, the, the, the things, the billboards said, rock for Christ. I said, well, they can do rock for anybody. I'll enjoy the rock music. Mm -hmm. So I ordered my half pint, and they were playing good rock music. And then they played the song, Put Your Hands in the Hands of the Man from Galilee. Now, I was hearing that on a Radio Caroline. That was an illegal radio station, but all of us were listening to it. And uh, they were playing that song on that radio station every day, every hour, hmm. uh, a Bob Dylan number. I said, cool, I know that song, and they're singing it. How nice. And then they paused and said, do you know this man from Galilee is Jesus? And I said, ha, ha, joke. Guys, Jesus ain't this man from Galilee. I've been brought up, and I believe that Jesus is from London. 
He's the colonial god. He's white, he's blue-eyed, he's blonde, and he comes from the city of London. You're making up something wrong here. Come and see me. I want to argue with you. You know, you fill a form I want to discuss with you. I want to argue with you. So the guy came to see me. And, you know, his name was John, Big John, they called him. He was tall, he was blue-eyed, he was blonde, and he was working in the city of London. I said, oh, dear. And he said to me, uh, I said to him, I've got a problem. You cannot say the man from Galilee is Jesus. He said, look, uh, let me open this book for you. It's called the Bible. Uh, opened it, and he showed me uh, the reading about uh, the Galilee and uh, Jesus. And then I said, but how do I know this is true? You know, this could be a story from anywhere. You know, well, 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 where is the truth in this? He said, look, this was forecast 600 years before he came. I said, huh. Okay, show me that. That is an interesting uh, facet to mm. look at. So he opened the book of Isaiah. Never heard of it, but he opened it and started re- reading a passage which started talking about this man who matched this Jesus. In other words, it, I could see uh, the, a sort of like a prophetic thing here. Th- th- this is you know, the man who's going to come. This is the man who has come. I'm thinking, hmm. I said, but look, how do I know even the whole book is true? Because I was really uh, uh, nervous. I said, this is incredible. He said, well, I leave this Bible, this New Testament with you. You read it and you be careful to do what's in it. I said, right, I'll go to the library. So I went to our own library. I went to the British library and I started finding out anything with Jesus. I started reading and I was so amazed, so impressed by the historical evidence. I think that's what really struck me. The whole archaeological thing Mm -hmm. in the New Testament, sites are mentioned and and scenes are mentioned where I could see historical uh, uh, and archaeological evidence that was corroborating that. To me, that was strong. And I thought, hmm. Am I being skeptical here? I'm at university. With, I, I should have an open mind and study openly. Let me really look openly at this New Testament I've been given and read it. Of course, when I started reading it, I got confused because the same story started repeating second time, third time, and I got a bit <laughs> frustrated. I said, you know, this is crazy. Why are they repeating it so many times? So luckily, I had two guys sitting next to me in the, in the physics lecture theater for, the, for at least the two years and the third year. Mm-hmm. So I've spoke to them. David Goldsmith and uh, Peter Clayton. And I said to them, you know, I'm reading this book. Uh, and they were amazed. They said, you're reading? I said, yeah, somebody gave it to me, explained to them. I didn't know they were actually Christians and keen Christians. And I didn't know they were sitting next to me for three years praying for me. Wow. <laughs> and, and I said, uh, yeah, I'm reading it and I'm very confused. All these books keep repeating. So luckily, uh, I think it was David Goldsmith uh, and Peter Clayton's father, I think it was a, was a vicar or a cleric or something. They said to me, look, uh, go to the book of Corinthians. We know you now after two years, <laughs> you, you, you'll be challenged by it. So I said, all right. I looked at it and I could see as I started the book of Corinthians, I was gobsmacked is the word. I said, this book could be written for the people of today. Mm. This is describing in those days, I, when I, I tell you what I did, another place I discovered was Soho, a very naughty place. Mm. And I, I went to Soho, this was in the, in, 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 in the 60s, 70s. And so they knew I had been there. They said, you read it and you tell us what you think. I said, gosh, they're describing Soho here. They're describing all the things that go on in that underworld, yeah. uh, uh, you know, drugs and prostitution. And my goodness, this is so relevant. So that gripped me. I read that book and then raced through till I got to Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. And that blew my mind. Mm. There it says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in and eat with him or her. Mm. I thought, wow, you know, I know how precious eating with somebody is. We don't just eat with any odd person. We eat with friends, with fellowship, with family. Mm. And I just said, Jesus, I I remember opening this huge window in my room. It was, by the way, December, freezing cold by now. Mm. Uh, I opened the window, got on my knees, and uh, when they gave me the Bible, uh, these were people from what was then called Campus Crusade for Christ, now Mm -hmm. called uh, Agape Ministries. They'd given me a little leaflet which had what is referred to in shorthand as the four spiritual laws. You know, accept that you're yeah. a sinner, accept Jesus uh, died for your sin, confess your sins, and uh, repent and believe in him. Very simple. I just looked at that, and I prayed that prayer that night, went to bed, and I was struggling with a lot of issues at college, a lot of issues. And I don't have time to tell you, but a lot of issues. I've outlined them, some of them in the book. Mm. I just literally uh, went to bed and slept like a log. 
got up the next day and my first prayer was answered. Somebody who was no longer going to be my lab partner called and said, I've changed my mind. Can we be lab partners, please? Oh, the relief. Mm -hmm. And I began to see the power of prayer because that's what I secretly prayed. Uh, uh, just to say, please, can I have that lab partner? He's gone, but I want him as my partner. Mm. He came, and bit by bit, things started happening. Of course, I hadn't known if I'd become a Protestant or a Catholic. I hadn't known what church do I go to, because the man who left me with the Bible said to me, Ram, I'm leaving you with the Bible. I can't argue anymore with you because I argued with him three, four times he visited me. I just kept arguing, arguing, arguing. Poor man yeah. just left me with the Bible. And But be careful to do what's in the Bible. So I went around taking the addresses of all the local churches. Which church do I go to? I looked for them in the Bible. I couldn't find any of them in the Bible. I said, I'm not going to any church now. And the church nearest to me, by the way, how I thank God that he, he stopped me going into that church. It was the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Right. And I literally, I still remember vividly standing in front in South Kensington is their headquarters and looking at that door, beautiful building, absolutely stunning, thinking, how do I go in? Do I need an invitation? Do I need a ticket? Do I need to have booked a place? How do you walk into a church? I know how to get into a gurdwara, into a mosque, and into a temple, mm. uh, but how do we get into a church? And uh, then uh, began the journey of uh, uh, of trying to find a church, but I didn't go. It was just me, the Bible, prayer, until a Christian friend saw me eating meat on a Friday. Uh, he saw me eating meat, and uh, this man said, this, this young <laughs> student said to me, he was a fellow student with me, uh, your name is Ram. That's a Hindu name. How come you're eating meat? You're meant to be a vegetarian. I said, um, look, I have been following the Bible, and I believe in Jesus. And he says, if you pray, all food can be blessed by him, and you can eat it. I thought, oh, and that's what I've been doing. So he said to me, which church do you go to? I said, I gave him a dilemma. I don't know which church to go to. Then he said to me, why don't you come with me to the Christian Union? which is where the students go. Hmm. It's not a church. It's where they all meet. I said, oh, that I can come to. Yeah, let me go with you. And uh, he, I discovered, was a Sri Lankan Christian, Ranil Pereira, takes me across uh, to this meeting, and I loved it. Uh, there was a man who was speaking in plain clothes like me. He didn't have any garbs, garments and robes and things. Uh, they sang songs. They, there was a little message, and uh, it was nice, and there was a, something to eat. I said, this is great. And then one day they said to me, why don't you come to church? And I said, you know what? I can't go to church if you meet in the morning. He says, evening. I said, oh, evening I can come and it's going to be dark. Still sort of winter. I'll come with you in the dark. I don't want my Indian friends to see me. I was scared. Hmm. What will they say? I really was scared. And, uh, and if the news reached my mom and anybody, what trouble would I get into? So I went with them in the evening. And when I walked in, I can tell you, you know, Simon, I changed my socks very specially. I put on fresh, you know, everything. Uh, and I looked for the shoe rack. <laughs> this is St. Paul's <laughs> Oslo Square. Yeah. I said, where's your shoe rack? They said, there's no shoe rack here. I said, what? You go in with your dirty, filthy shoes to worship God? You mm. can't do that? They said, please, do as we do. I said, all right, all right. At least allow me. There's a beautiful carpeted area. I still remember red carpet, a very plush carpet. I said, can I sit on that and worship? Please, Ram, do as we do. <laughs> Follow us. There are those wooden benches you see. They call them the pews. Just sit with us. I thought, okay. So uh, by now I decided I'm not coming back to church. This is alien to me. Talk about aliens. This is the other way around alien. Mm. And then we sat down and the organ blasted out. And I said, who died? They said, no, this is not a funeral. This is worship. I said, oh, I can't go, mate. Um, I, I didn't tell them aloud. I just said, this. I, I can't worship. I can't walk in with dirty, filthy shoes. I can't sit at a position which is disrespectful to the God as I understand God, uh, even though I was following Jesus and I knew Jesus uh, as my Lord and Savior. I just felt he needs respect and I'm not giving him respect. But the sermon, man, uh, I tell you, Simon, when the vicar, Raymond Turvey, started preaching, uh, boy, one verse of scripture he took, you are the salt of the earth, mm. one verse. He spent 20 minutes and I was gripped with every word, mm. salt, salt, which was the uh, exchange of currency at the time, precious material salt was, currency, he gave that example, salt that adds flavor, 
uh, uh, salt that preserves. And he went on, and in each case, he he, he sort of uh, uh, you know expostulated. Uh, he preached. He 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 just spoke in the most beautiful way that made that word of God alive to me. I said, "Wow!" For that alone. I will suffer the music. I will suffer sitting on the chair. I will suffer all that. But I want to hear this man uh, share from this book because I'm reading the book very quickly and I'm not getting uh, 1% of what this man has got from that one verse of Scripture. Ye are the salt of the earth. I thought, wow. Mm. And there began my journey. You know, uh, I I can tell you uh, uh, it was just the most exhilarating, exciting time uh, learning every day every week uh, uh, new stuff and eventually mustering the courage to go in the mornings uh, to attend the freshest dinner with all the others which the vicar invited us to uh, fellowship time it was lovely and that really began a journey like a sponge I kept absorbing 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 until I had to tell my mum yeah Yeah. so I'm, I'm fascinated did you experience would you say persecution from your family at your conversion once you did divulge it well, my mum was very open. She thought that, like, too sick, this will all go away. And mm-hmm. just a young kid, you know. But I, I was very insensitive. And uh, I remember telling my mum, oh, mum, you know, if you don't follow Jesus, those who don't follow Jesus will go to hell. And she just whacked me on the face. Mm-hmm. And, oh, man, there's a lesson learned. <laughs> and uh, I had to learn how to communicate with my family because then I kept very quiet. Uh, they, they, this mum re- respected the fact that I had been following Jesus, but thinking I'll give up, and she uh, didn't let other people know, and I kept very quiet. But my friends who who I was with started, I knew they were praying for the family. And I had to learn, Simon, how to communicate Jesus mm. in my language and my culture. Yeah, Because they they really thought that I was going to start smoking, Mm -hmm. that I was going to start drinking and that effectively I'd become like all the other uh, local people that they knew who came to the shop. I had to try sharing with them that is not what following Jesus means. And uh, I learned to find ways of communicating in our language. So I told my mom, uh, I follow the Sanatan Satguru. Guru is uh, your master, your living way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Satguru is your true uh, living master, but Sanatan is eternal, mm. and that's where she got. Uh, she was blown completely in her mind. She said, "Eternal, no one, no guru is eternal. I follow many gurus that can never be." I said, "Read this book, and you'll read about the eternal, true, and living way." And my mom had issued a challenge to me. She said, "You know, I like what you're doing, but I can never become a Christian. But if your elder brother becomes a Christian and his wife, I might think about it." <laughs> Uh, when our son, uh, uh, first uh, eldest son, was born in Geneva, Switzerland, where, where I was now helping run the family, a family business, um, she, she came and my sister-in-law came, uh, elder sister-in-law and my elder brother's wife. She saw us reading the Bible. She loved it. So she took, we gave her a Bible to take back to London. Uh, her husband was reading it. And again, through a set of miracles, both of them became followers of Jesus. Mm. We were phoning regularly. And uh, they, they, they'd met a local sales rep who was a believer, and uh, they became believers. And my mom, uh, she came to a point where she was prepared to accept Jesus as her savior. Amen. And that was a huge moment because yeah. she is the eldest daughter-in-law of that entire family, the yeah. whole clan. Mm. And uh, I remember when my elder brother and his wife became believers, I called her and said, Mom, now what? You said you would. It's very difficult for me, Ram. I said, well, don't worry. We'll pray for you. She even asked me, can I be a secret believer? I said, well, look, you believe as you think is fit. But at some point, you'll see uh, how God works. And, you know, she became a believer. And today, Simon, over 50 members of my family, extended family, follow Jesus. Over 50. All over the world. Just so, so exciting. Because when we were living in Geneva, Switzerland, my wife and I, went on a trip across Switzerland and I knew my uncle uh, who was totally against Christianity and Christians mm-hmm. uh, so much so that when his daughter of 12 became a Christian at a Christian school in Kenya, he took her off the school and sent her to India. Mm. He had a client in Frau Brunnen in Switzerland and uh, we thought, oh, we'll visit uncle's client. We we'll go and live near there and just go and see them, uh, stay the night near there and go and say hello to them. So we went to her home 
And in her home, she invited us for dinner. I saw a New Testament that looked remarkably like the version I had, Good News for Modern Man, mm -hmm. that sort of 60s, 70s version of the New Testament. I said to her, oh, who reads that? She said, we all do. I said, oh, my wife and I also read that. She looked astonished. Do you? I said, yes, we as Christians, we follow Jesus. She said, oh, and she nearly wept. She said, when I met your uncle, this is in the late 50s, 1950s, we started praying for your uncle and for his whole family. Oh. We started praying for all of you then. What a joy to meet the first fruit of the answer to that prayer. So, uh, you know, people were praying and it is that power of prayer. You know, Simon, that's what I would want to stress and yeah. leave as a message with everybody and anybody. Mm. You know, she did that. Another couple in Geneva, when Sunita, my wife, became a believer, they asked us the names of all our family members, mm -hmm. this couple. They served in India for 30 years as missionaries in South India. And they took the names of all the family members. Every time I met them, they would ask me, how is Sundaram? Yeah. How is Vijayam? Mm -hmm. How is Vasanti? When they passed away to be with the Lord and I talked with their son, he took me to their room and there I saw a family tree. A family tree amongst other family trees. And they have been faithfully praying oh, through stunning. the tree every, for every single name on that family tree. Yeah. No wonder they kept asking me instantly. They were looking at it and asking me, where's this one at? Where's that one at? And you know, it was just amazing to see one by one how the family members came to Jesus. Amen. Very exciting. Hey folks, I love it, the impact of this podcast. And thank you, those of you that's spreading the news. Could I challenge all of you listening to this? Could you share this podcast with three of your mates to see if they would subscribe? It's just getting great news out there. And listen, if you want to receive a weekly WhatsApp ping, just one ping, to make it easy for you to share with other people, because often I listen to podcasts and think, oh, that's brilliant, but I find it hard to know how to share it. You can sign up at greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash WhatsApp. That's greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash WhatsApp. And then you get one ping a week that you can forward to your mates. Then also, how about uh, a weekly email on it? That would be greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired email. You could do that, greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired email. And uh, there are giving options there if you want to support the podcast. It's under the auspices of Great Lakes Outreach, and we're serving the poorest and hungriest country in the world in Burundi. So I'd love your support in that. Anyway, God bless you for your encouragement, support, and emails. Loving it. Now let's get back to the podcast. Hey, listen, we're going to have to jump ahead. Guys, you're going to have to get the book, My, My Silk Road, to hear how, um, how Ram then met Sunita. They fell in love. They had to keep it secret. Uh, they're from different castes, which made it very awkward. It was very hard yeah. to, to win the approval of uh, his father-in-law, particularly. Uh, but they yep. eventually, through giving out his PhD opportunities and, and um, just, yeah. just basically sucking things up for quite a long time, he ba then, then Stella business career, lots of successes. Yeah, um, 7,000 people, 15 countries. There I was in charge of the commercial direction. And boy, what a journey. But God is good. I did that, visited the slums in Bombay because I was buying seafood from India. And a man who just went to be with the Lord uh, last week, Viju Abraham, mm -hmm. uh, he took me to the slums. And that visit just blew my mind. Came back. Uh, met a guy called Steve Chalk, and we started a project called Christmas Cracker, which I can tell you uh, was exciting. Uh, there's someone you know, Simon, called Jenny Taylor. That's right. And, you know, Jenny was our press agent. And boy, did she get us publicity. We pulled the largest Christmas cracker in the world to get in the Guinness Book of Records. Mm -hmm. She achieved the publicity with The Telegraph, with Sky News. And I mean, she was extraordinary with us, honestly. The Christmas cracker raised five million, nearly five million pounds. But more than that, 50,000 teenagers yes. had to do a one-week Bible study. What does, does Jesus teach about the poor? One week on how do I run my little uh, cafe or, you know, account for the money I get in and out. But what does Jesus teach me? Mm. And to see those kids today in their uh, 50s, uh, for, they, I think Joe, Joe, Joe Bicknell, mm. our, our mutual friend, I think she did a Christmas cracker. Yeah, and, and she said it was one of the best things she ever did. And look at what she's doing today. Mm. A children's author and what she's achieved is phenomenal. Yeah, and, and that's only one. But there are, I can give you a list of examples of people who I meet and I see what they're doing. One was a member of parliament. He came up to me and said, 
Uh, Mr. Gidumal, I believe you, you were involved with Christmas Cracker. I said, yes, I chaired the board and all that. He said, I'm here today because I was challenged when, as a teenager, I ran a cracker restaurant and learned about the other parts of the world. I want justice, and I'm here for that. A member of parliament, UK. Love it. So that's that's so uh, humbling, satisfying, and you know, glory to God that He has made all that possible. Amen. And then that got that whole area of injustice uh, moved me on to 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 try and tackle that nationally. I said, I've done it within the Christian context. Can I do it with the nation? Mm -hmm. So I had an opportunity to run for mayor of London. I said, right, let's put out some policies that are rooted in the Christian faith. Six principles of of the Christian faith in there. Social justice, compassion, reconciliation, empowerment, respect for life, uh, stewardship of of resources. You know, you look at all that in the book, you'll find those principles in there, drawn from the Bible, biblical principles. And honestly, uh, uh, when, when, when my policies were tested against the other candidates' policies, by an independent web poll, they came out top. Mm-hmm. It was reported in every newspaper in the country, even in a Time magazine and others in the United States, because they're rooted in Christian principles. See, when they went to the website, they said, oh, we'll not vote for this man. I came bottom, number six. When they checked, what do you want from somebody who will be the mayor of London? And they ticked those boxes of, of, for, for their policies. The person who matched them closest was myself, my policies, the Christian People's Alliance policies. It proves that those values have a real value in the marketplace. People want them, but they don't know. And this was the proof for me when I ran for mayor of London, you know, getting 100,000 first and second preference votes, saving my deposit, which shocked them all. (laughs) And me, by the way. Mm -hmm. I honestly wasn't sure how I would feature and do in the very first election in London in 2000. But it was exciting. And so it was being able to go out in the public square and then writing books to raise issues in the public square. Uh, Sari and Chips was my first book. By the way, Simon, if your listeners want a free copy of uh, uh, Sari and Chips, uh, it's a Kindle ebook. I'll gladly send it to you to send to your listeners if they write it to you. And the same with the other book following the London Baird election, How Would Jesus Vote? Mm-hmm. And I can give those books for free to your listeners if they want it. Great. They're on Kindle, and there you are. That explains that bit of the journey and uh, some more stories uh, than, than uh, My Silk Road, which, of course, is my memoirs, written initially for my grandchildren. But uh, a publisher was keen that this whole story goes in the public square, and it's been very exciting to see the reception the book has had. Now coming out as a paperback in September. <laughs> Great. You know, you've, you, so you've been a social entrepreneur. You sort of gave up frontline business with those thousands of people reporting to you. You, you became a social entrepreneur. You've done that for, for decades now. What would you, looking back, what would you feel has been your most significant contribution? Oh, uh, there's a project called Alia, A-L-L-I-A, Alia Limited. Alia, it's raising a social impact bonds. We were the pioneers of social impact bonds in 2000 uh, because I used that idea in, my, in the mayoral race. Uh, and at that time, I said, we will raise, and of course, I could say, 500 million pounds for London. And they all scoffed and laughed and said, this man's a joker. What, what does he know? Uh, you know, 500 million pounds he wants to raise, he'll never do it. I can tell you, Simon, it is so gratifying that this year, we passed over 1.2, 1.3 billion pounds wow. in bonds <laughs> issued and quoted, and some, some of the bonds quoted on the London Stock Exchange. Fantastic. So uh, I would never have imagined it. You know, there I was uh, 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 talking about it in 2000, uh, and over a billion pounds. And this has been so exciting to see. You know, I always say it, it isn't uh, all about ability, honestly. It's about availability with God. Yeah. <laughs> Make yourself available. Make yourself available. And the skills and gifts that every one of his children has been blessed with, God can use and will use. I am proof of that. If you'd asked me uh, uh, 30, 40 years ago, uh, would you even have written a book? You know, I've had seven to my name, but all uh, uh, done and uh, making points in the public square. Uh, Would I have ever run for mayor? You know, I'm not a political guy. I did it. You know, would you raise these sort of billion plus pounds for for good causes? You know, God is good. He really, uh, and, and I mean, there have been downsides. You know, when we ran the corner shop, Simon, uh, some of the things we were doing there, we were selling some books that were not appropriate. Mm. And the elders of the local church, we had just become Christian, the followers of Jesus, they came to the shop and said, those books are not good. 
and uh, we looked at it and we looked at the scriptures. They showed us why it's not good. We have new, young, you know, crawling believers. Yeah. And we said, oh, gosh, it is our biggest money earner, guys. Mm. You know, that pays for so many bills. It's huge profit margins, those yeah. books. And they said, well, it's not good. You have to decide. So, you know, we got so convicted. We burnt the books. We didn't even return them to get that cash back. We read the scriptures. We said, no, burn them. Mm. And then what do you do now? How do you replace that income? God opened our eyes. We saw students during lunchtime going to the other shops for their lunches. We said, hey, we've got a team of people at home who can make sandwiches and we'll make better sandwiches than the others. A bit of curry powder, a bit of, you know, <laughs> they love that, that kind of flavor. And honestly, the sale of those sandwiches and fast food more than compensated. And I mean, much, much more than those other books that we lost the income from. I you know, love he that. who honors he who honors me, I will honor, says the Lord. That's right. And that is absolute proof uh, there that he has really honored. He honored that step and and blessed us way beyond what we can dream or imagine. Yeah. It was just incredible. I- I love that. That's uh, that's one Samuel two thirty, isn't it? One of my favourite verses. The Lord yes. says, "I will honour those who honour me." Amen. Absolutely. One Samuel thirty, and then the other one, you know, uh, Ephesians two, where he says, uh, "And he is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine." Yeah. You know, I was chairing a company called Tradecraft, a fair trade company started by an amazing Christian man four, 40 years ago. I chaired it. It was approaching bankruptcy, Simon. Mm-hmm. On, 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 on Tuesday, we were told by the accountant, you have to shut down by Friday or you're trading illegally. That's the law. Friday, I went with, uh, for, I was prepared to go with my beat- for a meeting to the, with the board of directors to announce the closure of Tradecraft. This is three years ago now. And uh, I prayed and I said, Lord, every time you've taken us through, I can't see a way out. I called a few friends. Somebody sold their business for 20 million pounds. He said, nah, I can't help you, can't help you. And then there was one man. Uh, he's in the Isle of Man. I called him. Uh, reluctantly, I said, ah, nobody's going to help me now. It's now Wednesday. When I called him, he said, Ram, just, you don't know this, but I'm in the Isle of Man, and through my company, I'm a major shareholder in Tradecraft. I said, what? He said, look, send me your financials. Let me look at them. I said, we need 300,000 pounds. We need it for six months. I can give you security of the building and I can give you interest at the same what I'm paying the bank. Please help me. 300,000 pounds I'd asked for. You know, we'd met very briefly a few weeks before at another meeting. Mm-hmm. Send me the financial. Sent it to him. Gosh. By Thursday evening, he sent an email saying, Ram, I'm granting you three, a trade card, 300,000 pounds facility. Love I'm that. granting it for six months. I'm granting it interest-free, mm. and I don't need your security. I trust you. Brilliant. Uh-huh. Now, who can see an ounce of prayer immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine? Yeah. That is our God, Simon. Amen. Immeasurably I- more than all we ask or imagine. And that is testimony. Honestly, it's happened to me, and it's just just amazing. Uh-huh. I, I, I still <laughs> weep, and I, I'm tears in my eyes, and I think of it. It just... I honestly cannot believe the God, the God we worship. It's just yeah. incredible. Yeah. You know, um, I picture you as that 16-year-old arriving with the wrong paperwork, or and I think of the guys that were involved in Burundi, because what we do is we just identify the best local leaders in Burundi to transform and, and shape the nation, and they are doing it. And it's amazing, you know, they can... For example, my, my, my soulmate, Freddie, out there, he never wore shoes until the age of 14. He used to walk two, three hours in total each day to and from school. First kid from his village to graduate from primary school. And then he's now built four or five, five schools, uh, some of the best schools in the country. And wow. you know, it, 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 the capacity, the potential in people, you know, God-given potential to be used for his glory. And he's done that in your life. You, I, I love that. You know, a, anyone who, who surrendered to him, you know, God gives, whether five, two or one talents, we just got to surrender that to him you've done that uh, he's intervened uh, you got awarded i mean i, I went to, to Buckingham palace a few years ago got an mb but you got a much higher higher one than that it's a cb what, what's a cb what, what's it for you know when i got the letter i never knew what it stood for <laughs> yeah. my wife and i looked at it and we were disappointed thinking oh everybody gets an obe why have i got a cbe <laughs> <laughs> and then i look up uh, we had a Webster's Dictionary in our house, and that's in here. So I looked at them and said, oh, it's higher than an OBE. It's a commander. And then uh, when, when the citation uh, was announced, I saw it was 
for uh, services to the uh, Asian business community and race relations. Mm-hmm. And I've been working passionately for uh, good re- reconciliation between the races. And of course, passionately to ensure that the Asian business community were recognized and then encouraged to add more value to the country, which of course has been happening, as you can see, uh, over the years. We yeah. even have a prime minister and uh, all these different folk coming forward from the community because barriers have been broken. And, mm. and uh, you know, there you are. And fascinating so, that you, as a follower of Jesus, were invited in to mediate between Muslims and Hindus. Yes. And- oh, that was incredible. When uh, 2,000 Muslims were massacred in the Gujarat, uh, it was so shocking because the, the Hindus and Muslims there were then uh, fighting each other. That spilled over into the UK. And the business communities were very concerned, saying, hey, this is not good for the reputation of the Asians in this country. Let's do something to reconcile them. They called me. And I can tell you, the Hindus got upset and the Muslims got upset. Why bring a Christian to mediate between us? But the business community said, look, we are going to put forward the funding for that conference, Healing the Wounds, the conference is called, Healing the Wounds. And we then brought them together in fact, I can tell you there was a fundamentalist group who said Ram must be made to face the Saffron gang, break his knees in London. Yeah. This is London, UK. Mm-hmm. I had to call the police to intervene and say, please, if anything happens, then you'll come in. They gave me a reference number and said, they're on standby. Anything happens, call us. I even had Brezhnev's bodyguard who was freelancing in London to <laughs> the, the business people. <laughs> they recruited him and he came, a huge guy, like six foot six. Yeah. He was breaking his bodyguard and he came, get the venue out. And boy, that, when that meeting took place, there was one guy who got up, started shouting, you can't do this. Yeah, da, 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 da. Yeah. This guy just stood over him and he's silent. <laughs> he just saw him, he kept quiet. And then I said, look, I'll give you a chance to speak. You can say what you like. It's a free world. Please uh, speak in turn and do it with respect. He spoke, others spoke. Before the meeting, they were saying, why have the meeting? After the meeting, they said, hey, why haven't we had this meeting before? (laughs) So, you know, peace and reconciliation. And uh, it was so powerful to see different speakers from India and Pakistan and everywhere coming to speak. Well, no, mainly India, sorry, mainly India, because the issue was in India at this conference. And it was just exciting to see how uh, the result of that did result in some kind of relationship building between between warring factions, really, because yeah. they were throwing bricks in the mosques and bricks uh, bricks in the uh, in the temples, and it wasn't pleasant. It wasn't good for the community. Oh, brother, this is so good. You know, this, we could do so many more podcasts to cover these <laughs> different parts of your journey. But listen, you're. You're in your 70s. You can already look back on a long life, successes and challenges. What do you feel has been your most difficult challenge so far? Oh, boy. <laughs> I think the, the, the most difficult challenge uh, has been learning to engage with, uh, if I can call it the establishment, those who have the power here mm-hmm. and learning to get their confidence. Uh, it, it really calls for cross-cultural understanding, respect, trust building, and it doesn't come overnight. It, it took years. You know, I became a member of the Royal Society of Arts. I became a member of this network and that network. And one by one, person by person, trying to explain to people in power, and each one was influential in that room. Mm-hmm. One was a lady who's now with the Lord, uh, Elizabeth Valence, the wife of Lord Valence, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and she was once we spoke, and he just spoke standing in the uh, foyer, and she said, "Wow, I want to know more." I sent her my book Sari and Chips, and she sent me back a note saying, "If for this book alone you deserve your CBE, you opened my eyes like I've not seen before. Are you looking for any board positions?" I said, "I've applied and applied. I can't get it." She says, "Apply to these boards, and I'll see what I can do for you." So there was one lady who then wrote to the ministers, wrote to, and, and there was ways like that that started happening to help me face the most difficult challenge. But I had to be patient. I had to be trusting. And, you know, God opened the doors as and when. And so that was the most, one of the most challenging things was to break through. And that really was exciting to see happen. Mm-hmm. I love a poem, which I've, I've, you know, I'm a preacher. I've, I've preached on and included this poem. And you've got it. And, and the last few pages of your book, it's the one yeah. called The Weaver yeah. by Grant uh, oh, Colfax yes. Teller. Let me just read yeah. that. And then please, I'm going to ask you please. one last question. So it's called The Weaver. 
My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colours he weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skilful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. Amen. Yeah. Ram, it's been such a treat uh, to listen to you and your journey. Um, last question, I think, is that, you know, I just want to ask, you know, what does Jesus mean to you? Oh, that is a huge question. It's a brilliant question. Funnily, I was, I've been thinking about that in the last few days and, you know, and talking with uh, different folk. He means everything to me. Mm. Honestly, everything. I, and I mean everything. Uh, and, you know, not a day goes by uh, where I just cannot thank Jesus enough because he has done it all. He has paid the price. Anything and everything I now do mm. is an expression of my thanksgiving to him. Yeah. Anything and everything. It's thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I cannot earn his favor. I cannot uh, earn anything that would pay for my bad karma. He's paid for it. Yeah. That to me is the biggest difference in terms of what I believe now and what I was brought up to believe. Yeah. Because I was brought up to believe that I would have to pay. I now believe he has paid and therefore what I do is not to earn any favors, but it is to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. To me, that is what Jesus means to me. Everything. Amen. Well, guys, that is a life well lived and it's not over yet. I know there's plenty <laughs> more to come from Ram Gandua. Ram, thanks so much for your time, brother. Thank you. Thank you, Simon. And thank you so much for inviting me and having me on this show. Thank you. Brilliant, guys. It's just lovely, isn't it? Every week, such different stories, but all giving glory to Jesus, inspiring faith. Ram's been used to impact millions of lives through his his mobilization of funds and just impact and influence and networking, connecting. That's not my journey. I mean, there's there's overlaps. It's not your journey. We've all got different journeys, the same call, same Jesus, same Lord who wants our whole lives. And so I hope you're inspired. If you are, can you give us a great review on Spotify or iTunes? Uh, I've got another fantastic guest next week that I'm looking forward to sharing with you. If you want to be in touch with me, it's simongilbo.com or any of the social media platforms. Uh, We'll put stuff in the blurb on Ram's offer of sharing his books with you. I want to thank Adam Thomas Steer for the editing and Mike Sandman for the mixing. In the meantime, have a great week and we'll see you next time. Toodaloo.